Soylent Pink is cow. Hey, you, you're listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Heineser. The safe word tonight is banana. With me tonight, Ian. <laughs> okay, I wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> okay, I didn't know we had to have safe words. I'm sorry, I haven't come up with one for myself, but um, then again, um, I think I'm fairly safe down here in my dungeon. <laughs> All right, that was Ian. Also joining me, Mac. My safe word is time lock. All right. That's what I would use on a safe. And, as always, our most important guest host, or not guest host, our most important host, Kimberly. (laughs) I don't know about important. So I've been thinking about this. So we all know what the prime directive is in, in Star Trek, right? Right. Is there a second directive? Is there a third directive? Does it end? Are there Are there many directives? Think about it. That's a very good question. And the thing is, let's I'm go like, to announcements. Yes, let's do it, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got lots of stuff going on in the next couple of months in Denver. So on Saturday, May 19th, the Boulder Atheists uh, are doing the second Saturday picnic up at a ranch in Nederland, and we're also continuing the AAA convention planning. Sunday the 20th, the Denver Atheists are doing Eudaimonia at Brooklyn's Best Practices in Daily Life. I just got to say, Eudaimonias are some of my favorite meetups, so check it out if you can. There's a bunch of outreach going on. Um, the weekend of the 26th through the 28th, Memorial Day, or yeah, Memorial Day, um, Boulder Creek Fest. There's going to be a booth for um, Boulder Atheists and CoCor up there so that uh, you can go up there and argue with people. Yay. Um, Wednesday the 30th at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science is 60 Minutes in Space. The next night on the 31st is Exploring Titan by Boat. I'm not going to be able to make that one, but it sounds really interesting. And I'm not going to be able to make that because I'm going to be with into the churches going to the Arvada Covenant Church on Thursday the 31st. Oh, that sounds uh, interesting. Yeah, it should be neat. Um the following weekend, June 2nd and June 3rd, CoCor is doing the Denver People's Fair, just like they're doing up in Boulder. Um, so if you're not done arguing with people, you can get the Denver side of it. Um, I would suggest if you can go to both of them. People are going to be hanging out all day. From what I understand, the conversations are awesome. Um, Sunday, June 3rd, Into the Churches is doing First Baptist in Evergreen. So um, that's really gearing up a lot more stuff happening there. On Tuesday, June 5th at the museum, they're going to be doing um, some viewing of the Venus transit when basically Venus will get between um, the Earth and the Sun and you'll be able to see it go across. You do want to do it safely because staring at the Sun will make you blind. I know that there are other things that make you blind, but this is one that actually really can. It's not apocryphal. <laughs> um, Sunday, June 10th, is uh, the Humanists of Colorado do their um, annual picnic. So the Humanists do a monthly meeting uh, with a speaker. This time they're going to have some entertainment. Um, and uh, they will be announcing the new board members on the HOC and somebody from this podcast, I don't remember who, is up for that position. So, yay. Um, Wednesday, June 13th, the Boulder Atheists are doing something interesting called Atheism 101, basically a, a, a lecture and discussion on atheism. Um, Tuesday, June 26th, Denver Museum of Nature and Science is doing the Science of the Perfect Life. Sounds like a fun discussion. Um, I'm hoping to be able to check that one out. Other things I wanted to let people know about um, down in, in July is on Saturday the 21st, they're doing a, a mini-conference out in Grand Junction. It's going to be a one-day event with some speakers, and they're getting people in from the Uni- Unicor, I think it's called, or United Core. Anyway, it's a lot like CoCore in that it's a bunch of different groups, but this is nationwide, and they're going to come in and talk about basically doing more stuff with atheism outreach. So that's going to be in July. That will be a free conference. And then the one I've been talking up a bunch lately, the Atheist Alliance of America, the AAA conference. I put the link on the on our document so that you can get more information about that conference uh, over Labor Day weekend, Friday the 30, August 30th to Monday, September 3rd. And that's your announcements. All right. That might be the first time I was not interrupted. So that's exciting. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good. Well controlled. First, you had a lot <laughs> of them. I do that's have right. one little comment to make. The, um, 
Kokar people might think of um, changing their name because I kept hearing Kokar. I'm not, what are you hearing? Kokor. Kokor. <laughs> oh, that Kokor. may have been what uh, Brad was. That's exactly what he was laughing about last podcast. That's exactly was it. Kokor. That's what. That's it sounds what like. it sounds like. Okay. All right. Oh, that, so uh, see, I didn't know what he was laughing at because I have never heard that before. Well, if you, yeah, before. that's what he was laughing about because it is funny. Kokor. It's. Uh, I I I didn't I didn't actually hear it until it's Kokor, but uh, but until yeah. I brought it up to to my wife and she said they seriously call it that i'm like <laughs> yeah that, didn't you hear me because i i specifically i made it very clear when i said it coke whores aside that's what he i got it that that's why he was laughing it was funny but it's it's cocore not yeah i but I, yeah it, yeah. it's okay. it, it it probably sounds a lot different if you hear it rather than reading it so yes yeah in fact if you read it it really doesn't sound like anything no i they know it Unless you're moving your lips. All right. So here's uh, I, I I'm going to give my apologies for not making it to Skeptic Camp because I was I was feeling terrible. I you know my allergies have been killing me and I I, I didn't feel like sitting there being miserable and with my running nose and um, I'm still stuffed up. I still I'm not feeling good and so I couldn't make it. So I was chastised pretty thoroughly by um. By our friend uh, Michael Clifton, uh, Agents of Doubt, because they had to sit through some bullshit <laughs> lecture um, by this guy who was like telling us that Malthusianism w- w- was false, and he seemed to kind of miss the point of Malthusianism, and it it, it was pretty it bad. Was it was horrible. It, it was it was very bad, you know. And it's like it's saying that DDT wasn't linked to the the thinning of eggshells and stuff like that, which. They they have gone back on that a little bit. DDT was found not to be the only culprit, that there were some other bad farming practices and other stuff that was contributing to the problem. But I don't think anybody has ever said that it wasn't DDT causing the problem, um, just that it wasn't the only problem. And I think that he kind of he seemed to have missed that point as well. Um, and it, yeah, it was bad. So did, did he publicly chastise you? On no, he no, not like publicly. That? No, no, no. Oh, I was on bad. Skype and uh, I was talking to Mac. In fact, I, I I got off with Mac to talk to him, and and he told me just how horrible it was, and that you know that that you know my my minor suffering caused a hundred people to suffer at at the hand of this guy for a half hour. <laughs> you know, he's Brian, not wrong, <laughs> Brian. You should have you should have overcome your allergies and gone. Yes, you know, in the words of Friedrich Nietzsche, what doesn't destroy you must have missed. I, I did Nietzsche as my uh, senior philosophy class, and that is actually a misquote. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, regardless, no, uh, we, we really irregardless there for sure. <laughs> What's that? I, I wish that I, I wish I could have been there too, but I I didn't feel up to it, and I wasn't going to put myself through it. So I'm I, I'm sorry that everybody had suffered through that, but to. I did feel your pain because Agent of Doubt posted the video, and so not only did I sit through it, I had to watch it, watch his crappy video. Oh, okay. So, and I finally got to meet Michael. I've never actually met yeah. him before, so we had a nice moment together. Yep, I saw um, that. I saw he. Oh, is he, that out, out Yeah, there he posted that, and so, okay. so it, he put that you know, up. Irregardless of that, <laughs> yeah, I'm drawing Jen's fire for you. Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, but there there were some really good speeches. Um. And yeah, I, and and it's totally understandable. I, I I will join Michael in chastising you a little bit, but no, you got to take care of yourself. Um, yeah. There were some very interesting speeches. We've got a contingent in the skeptic camp, and actually, um, I'll I'll give you a quick preview. Next week is or next podcast is mine again, and I'm going to be talking about labels. I'm going to be talking oh. about the differences between. Uh, skeptics, between free thinkers, uh, atheists, uh, libertarians, because they seem to want some space here. Whatever the Ayn Randians call themselves, or some word for that. Morons. But basically, what, what what we wind up with is basically a lot of people. And as has been pointed out before, we are a very loose coalition of people who don't actually have all that much in common at the core of who we are, except for this way of thinking of being skeptical and. You know, if we're going with the atheist with not believing in God. And it's taken me a while to get that message that we don't have that much in common. But it was battered through my skull uh, at Skepticamp that there are people in the movement that 
I strongly disagree with. Well, okay, on let just me, about everything except for a couple of core components. Let, let me let me ask you this. I the the next uh, um the next speaker was Rachel talking about fracking. Mm-hmm. And what and and what she's saying about fracking is is what I've been hearing that basically it, it that we're we're not sure that you know that there's been nothing linked that shows that um, hydrocarbons are getting into the water because of the process of fracking, right? The actual process of fracking, and and I think that I think that there's enough evidence to suggest that we should be that that should be questioned. Um, I think that we've jumped to a conclusion there without looking at everything. But on the other hand, I think that after talking to my coworkers about this and you know having an argument that. There, there's, there's some, we, we need to consider not just whether it's the process of fracking, but whether the, uh, the actual, if what's involved in fracking is more environmentally damaging because you have all this fracking fluid that can spill. And so even though that's not fracking directly, it's related to fracking. And if that spills and gets into the water table, now you have, you know, the, all, everything that was in that fracking fluid after it's been used, which includes hydrocarbon, getting into the water table. So there's a bunch of other ways. So there's a lot of other reasons to, to think that, well, I mean, it's not fracking in and of itself, but yet having, but that there are other ways that the fracking is getting stuff into the water table from the surface, which is kind of what she said. Um, but I, I'm torn on this issue because even though it isn't fracking in and of itself, it might be fracking related. So is it still fracking? Do we still want to, do we talk about fracking or do we just talk about drilling in general? I, I, when you're here, when you're talking about fracking, it sounds to me like a made up curse word that you're using to replace another F word. <laughs> yeah, frack off. That's why. Cause, you know, you're talking about fracking fluids and, <laughs> and used things, and I'm like, I understood that. Well, cause fracking fluids can lubricate a fault. <laughs> yes, they can. Anyway, so. And allow you to drill more deeply. I'll be after, I'll be I agree with what she said. After talking to some of my coworkers and stuff, I think that it's a more nuanced issue, but I think it's far more complicated than either side is, um, is letting on. So I don't know what to think about fracking at this point. Quite frankly, I'm completely confused. Much as I am about our main subject this evening. I was going to say, it seems like there's a lot of topics that have that kind of level of confusion built into the discussion. Right. So we. Yeah, and so uh, we're going to talk about junk foods. Talk a little bit about a little uh, more than junk. Yeah, food. a little bit more than junk food. We're going to talk about food in general. But this got started because Ian posted an article that I had actually I had actually read from uh, Natural News. And anytime Natural News puts anything up, uh, I read it and go, "Well, what's the real truth?" Because they're not exactly a reliable source of anything. And so I read I went and read the original um uh what is it Market Week Business Week article that they got it from. Which really wasn't a scientific article in and of itself. It was generally talking about some science that was being done. And I think both, oh God, what is his name? Uh, Michael, Michael Adams, Health Ranger. That, that's the natural news guy. And uh, David Icke both kind of caught the same kind of thing and kind of overblew it and kind of used it to their own purposes. And so Ian and I had had, had a discussion about this. Well, the, the adult thing we were talking about, the, okay, th- these articles talk about junk food being as addictive as cocaine. And one of the things we came to is most foods are addictive as cocaine. I don't think um, they are as ad- I don't, I, I think that there's a distinction there. I don't, I, I, well, and, and I guess I don't actually know how addictive cocaine is, right? But, I mean, when's the last time somebody knocked over a 7-Eleven for a Twinkie? They can just pocket those and work out with them. Well, okay. But I, you know, I think that I, I, I don't think you could actually reliably ask that question as a, as a joke because if it happens that somebody knocks over a 7-Eleven for a Twinkie, it's probably not going to make the news, so you won't necessarily know about it. Unless they do something hilarious on the way out. Don't you think knocking but over... But I'm saying a, that yeah. it probably happens a lot more where somebody will knock over the 7-Eleven for some junk food a lot more often than you, than you suspect. I'm, just, I'm not buying this correlation that, that these foods are as addictive as cocaine. I'm, I'm not... I'm not buying that. I, I, I will agree that they are addictive, and we certainly get a dopamine hit by consuming them. And, and we're saying food in general. We're not saying just junk food. We're saying food in general. Um, well, you know, anything, I think technically anything that enters the body and affects it in any way can be considered a drug, which means food is a drug. Okay. But Even that, if the effect is beneficial, it's still a drug. 
Okay. Well, because we certainly get rewarded for eating. Well, oh, our yeah. bodies tell us that we are supposed to eat. Um, and so it makes sense that there is some, some brain chemistry that is rewarding us. Now, it's interesting that it's the same centers of the brain that, re- that reward us for eating as they do for snorting cocaine. Yeah. And uh, well, well, when we talked about this last time, I made the comment that trying to think of the food that when I think of, I basically drool and when I taste it, it's like a drug, you know, reaction to me is smoked salmon, which, sure. you know, it's, it, it's something that I. Okay. Let's start over talking about salmon. Okay. So basically the one food I could think of that I have what probably most, most like describes um, addiction symptoms to. When it comes to thinking about and desiring, is probably smoked salmon. I mean, I'm salivating right now just talking about it, and yet it go contrary to the goes contrary to the junk food thing because this is you know smoked salmon is very healthy for you. No, it doesn't go contrary because it's full of fat. Is it? Yes. Salmon? Oh yeah, okay. salmon. Salmon's full of fat. Okay, I. Did. This is generally considered healthier for you than red meat. Well, and that's it. It's an interesting point, right? But I, but but salmon has fat in it, and boy, does it taste good. Yes. Yes, salmon tastes very good but, because of all that butter soft fat. But the other thing is about salmon, smoked salmon particularly, is it has a lot of salt in it. But it generally wouldn't be something people consider junk food. No, it, it wouldn't. But um, when I do smoked salmon. Um, you don't want a salmon that's too too oily. Like I have um, some salmon that's pretty oily um, that I did that didn't turn out really great. I'll get you some. Um, it's still it's still good enough to eat. Um, but you do that right, and then you brine it. So you're putting a lot of salt and sugar into it as well. So it's got fat, salt, and sugar. All the things that that our you know bodies really really like. And when Brian gets you that smoked salmon, just remember that the first one's free. That's right. That's right. <laughs> No, but so so uh, actually, smoked salmon is a um, I think uh, fits into what they're talking about perfectly. It has the, it has everything in it that they're kind of talking about. That's a good point, and because of the salt in it, it's probably going to play a little bit of merry havoc with your blood sh- with your not blood sugar but your blood pressure. Well, no, actually, I I I found an article that says that's a myth. Yep, we have a food myth thing what? that salt and blood pressure. Yes. You know, before we go any further, we we should admit that you know we found a lot of articles, and I, I I was able to find an article for fat that could say pretty much anything that I wanted it to. Yeah, yeah. well, that's one interesting thing. You look at the food research; it goes back and forth every time you turn around. You know, what, what's healthy for you, what isn't, jumps back and forth depending on um, the research, and you, you get the uh, the feeling that a lot of it isn't so much the food as the individual people. You know, the, yeah. we're all going to react differently to different um, stuff going into our system. Well, I, after reading all this stuff, I, I really get the impression that a lot of this stuff, like, you know, I, I keep hearing, you know, that the saturated fat being um, and fats in general being associated with heart disease was one small study that somebody did that really wasn't as conclusive as, you know, as we've been led to believe, but it, it took off like a wildfire. And I've been finding that a lot about a lot of these things is that there isn't a lot of good evidence to substantiate them. And for whatever reason, we just automatically believe them. For whatever, you know, we were able to believe that fat was causing heart disease. And you look at it, it's oily and, you know, and, and the way that it, you know, I, I think that, I think it's, I think there's something else going on. We, we look at certain things and we can, and we make certain associations about them, whether or not they're true. And they might, yeah. and, the, and they still might be true. Also, like I was saying, so, uh, to me, it sounds like a lot of it is genetics. Certain pockets of the population are going to have certain problems with certain foods from, you know, and, and that might be part of the problem is the, these studies aren't done to um, a group around the world. They're done in certain um, areas of certain countries. If you look at where they do them. And, right. okay, in that area, that might be a concern within that population. But then you jump halfway across the world and do the exact same study in a whole different group. Hey, wait a minute. The, the same problems aren't there. Right. And the, another article that I've got in here talks about um, a look at a Mediterranean study that showed no difference between the type of oil that you use to, to cook stuff. Um, and once again, they pointed out very clearly that this is a Mediterranean study and doesn't apply across the board. Right. But it doesn't matter because somebody will take that study and they'll apply it across the board. And that's what happens with a lot of this stuff is that somebody will find something that's mildly significant and they'll apply it across the board. 
and and let's keep in mind also just mildly significant has a lot of different definitions you know a lot of these studies talk about how if you do x your chances of getting a stroke over the course of your lifetime increase 30 fold right but the chances might have gone from 1 in 100 million to 1 in 50,000 they're still rather insignificant chances. Yeah. The number, and, and I'm making up these things. I don't have the math as to what a 34 right. would be. But what I'm saying is, you know, when we hear these kind of things, and it happens with medicine and food a lot, there you really do have to wonder what the motivation of the person saying it is, and understand what the statistics truly mean in the terms of risk. Because I, I, what I keep finding is, you know, they, they throw out these numbers that sound horrific, like, oh, my God, if I have another potato chip, I'm going to drop dead right here. And it turns out that over the course of my lifetime, I may or may not have increased the odds of a certain type of cancer, if nothing else happens, you know, has gone from completely insignificant to just mostly insignificant. Right. You know, Kimberly, if you have just one more potato chip, you've got amazing willpower. <laughs> well, but the, it's, well, it's there's an, only one more left in the bag. Yeah, but it's yeah, interesting. It's time to go get another bag. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting because you know we have a study that said fat is bad. Okay. After our technical difficulties, I don't even remember what was being said. We were talking about fat and sugar and yeah. how the things good. You know, how some of these health issues are regional and within certain populations, oh, yeah. quite likely. And you we talked about a study where they they even said. This is for the Mediterranean area. And it's the one that's on here about the fried foods. Uh, fried foods, heart risk myth, right? And even, even you know, and it's what, this is from the Telegraph. Um, and I actually don't know much about the Telegraph. I mean, if it was from the Daily Mail, I mean, you know, we, we, we could almost just write it off. But We don't source from there as often as we used to. No, no. Well, uh, <laughs> not unless we, we want to, you know. Get a chuckle out of get it. Get a chuckle. Um but this this one was talking about the Mediterranean and basically how how they found it. it didn't matter you know the oil that was being used didn't really you know make that much of a difference but what they didn't want people to do was to take this as gospel so they they kind of say at the end this you know basically take it with a grain of salt you know and they found that it didn't matter the oil unless the oil was being reused. And if it was being reused, well, then it had then it seemed to have more of an effect. But it didn't really say how much more. And a lot of these articles are very poor. Let's try this again. Okay. You sound okay right now, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to the Amateur Skeptics episode. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, banana, banana. <laughs> Let's start this off again. So we had just concluded talking about smoked salmon, fats, sugars, yada, yada, yada. And I was talking about the fried food study that was from the Mediterranean that really... I, I think we had come to the conclusion that smoked salmon was good. Yes. Well, and addictive, you know, but that's okay. Addictive. Let's do this. Let's go through the food myths. Does that sound good to everybody? Yeah. So the food, I found this article, and I, I, I cannot tell you whether this is a reasonable source, but it does contain a lot of information that I'm hearing anecdotally, and they seem to have fairly significant references. Um, and so it had a list of, um, of food myths that I thought was interesting. But once again, you know, nailing these things down to find out if there's nuances, if that's really what... Uh, is going on is difficult to tell. So the first one is food myth number one, salt is bad for you. American Medicine Association published a, uh, a meta-study of 56 trials done in 1980 uh, with, people normal with no people with normal blood pressure and found that extreme salt restriction had little effect on low blood pressure, which is completely counter to everything that we hear. Yeah, as I understand the relationship between salt and blood pressure, um, salt will make you retain more liquid. A high level of salt in your diet will like will make you retain more liquid, which will raise your blood pressure. But why is that? Because if you're retaining more liquid, uh, are, is it going to be thinner or thicker liquid? Well, in this case, it's it. When I'm talking about retaining liquid, I'm talking about retaining water. Right, but if you have more water, then you should be thinning out your blood, right? I don't know. I don't know either. This is the times when I wish we had a physician. This would be an interesting one. You know, we, we we met a physician, and he said that if we had little stuff like this, maybe this would be a good one to run by him. 
Um, okay. And see what he says about it. He I said know be, that uh, I know that my doctor for my blood pressure put me on a diuretic. So yeah. So, but I mean, there's a link to the meta study which I have not read that that concluded that uh, salt had little effect on blood pressure. But notice the caveat that in this, um, people with normal blood pressure and found that an excess of salt restriction had little effect on low blood pressure. Wait, had little effect on low blood pressure. So the men, the, maybe they're not talking about high blood pressure here? Well, it sounds like they're saying people with low blood pressure are unaffected by salt, is what it looks like. The salt intake doesn't actually change their blood pressure. Okay. Hmm. So it doesn't say anything about high blood pressure, actually. But still, I do find it interesting that, that restricting salt had no effect on people with low blood pressure. But why would you be restricting salt with people with low blood pressure? You wouldn't want to, I don't think. It doesn't sound like it. Not as it. I understand so it. Maybe I don't understand what they're saying. Well, that's part of the problem. But, so, but see, but this well, may be... I think maybe it's talking about how the the myth is just everybody needs to lower their salt intake. Right, maybe that's not the case. And this is case, probably yeah. suggesting that, no, maybe if you have high blood pressure, perhaps you should. But if you have... It's not going to do anything for you if that's not your problem. But, but this is interesting. Another study... Um, the investigators found that the less salt people ate, the more likely they were to die of heart disease. Uh, and then they have an article here that they link to. And I, I haven't gotten read all the links and everything. Yeah, well, there, um, there's quite a few in this. Yeah. Okay. And it, when they're talking so, about the less salt people eat, they're talking about iodine deficiency. Well, no, they're talking about eating less salt increases triglycerides and other hormones in blood, which increase blood pressure and heart heart attack risk. So they're saying that that by restricting the um, the salt, that it was increasing blood pressure because it was increasing charges, glides, and other hormones. So, anyways, it sounds like we could do a whole show just trying to break down this yeah, first myth. Yeah, I I I can I can say without much fear of contradiction that salt is bad for a for a percentage of the population. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's a cultural thing. You know, if you're a slug. Well, one of the things <laughs> I, th- I think in the article that says it is your general doctors are not actually given that much in nutritional training. About, well, I know that is yeah, training. about two weeks in dietary training. But, I, well, well so, I'm, you know, I, I have more to say about that later um, okay. and, and for the wrap-up for this. But let's go on to the next myth. Okay. Eggs are bad for you, uh, bad for your health. Now, I, I know that this has gone back and forth. At one point, they thought that it was high in cholesterol, and then they've come back on that. The most recent thing that I've heard about there eggs, was like there was like one study about eggs and cholesterol, and it's become a it's become a cultural. It's like a cultural knowledge that everybody knows this, even if it's not true. Right. Right. But I, I yeah, I think the latest thing that I've heard on eggs is that they they are good for you, and that they weren't an incredibly high source of cholesterol. So. All right, go ahead and eat your eggs. Okay. And again, we we need cholesterol. We need we we need certain amounts of it. Well, I have so. a study that talks more about that that we'll go into okay. later. Okay. Um, but once again, you know, uh, okay, butter is full of saturated fats that will clog your arteries, so margarine is much a much better choice. Now, this one I knew was false. Yeah, because margarine is what oil and flavoring. Well, it's basically Crisco. <laughs> it's I mean it, it's just yeah so. So this one, I, everything that I've heard, ag- definitely agrees with this. Well, I'm going to choose butter. Yeah, and I don't care. There you go. I don't well, care. I, I, and I like the, I like what they said here. You know that you know if you take a quart of whipping cream and whip it, you know, add a little salt, you've got butter. Whereas margarine is, you know, this this uh, group of chemicals. But I heard a guy saying that like if you take margarine and put it out in in your garage open, bugs won't even touch it. I, I haven't tested this, but uh, I'm not sure if that means I should eat it or not. Bugs certainly don't want it, but so maybe if I eat it, bugs will run away from me. <laughs> you could be so lucky, but probably wouldn't be. Um, heart disease is caused by the consumption of cholesterol and saturated fats found in animal products such as butter, bacon, uh, and lard. And tropical fats such as coconut oil and palm oil. Truth? Nope. <laughs> Scientifically valid studies have never shown a link between saturated fat consumption and heart disease. Um, 
A recent meta-analysis concluded that there is no significant evidence to conclude that dietary saturated fats is associated with the increased risk, increased risk of uh, coronary heart disease so or coronary valve disease. And, vascular disease. And I'm hearing this particular thing more and more that it was a small study that started this and you know and it, and it and it took off like wildfire but it was never really substantiated. Uh it was a small study that that gained a lot of popular support among among doctors and government agencies. So Right. But once again, I, I, I've been, I mean, and that's what I've been hearing. And I went looking, you know, for, for the actual studies. And, and, I, and you, you, like I say, you can find a, uh, an article that says anything that you want about fat, but not necessarily a study. That, and those are, those seem to be much harder to come by. Um, but they, I, I personally try to get my, try to get my protein from vegetable byproducts, such as cows. Such as cows. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it goes on, but I thought it was interesting. It breaks down how much, um, um, how much of the fat in beef is actually saturated fats and how much of it is polyunsaturated fat. And so it breaks that down. And so, uh, blood, uh, blood cholesterol lever levels should be less than 180 mils. What is this? Milligrams slash DL for good heart health. No idea. Download. So, uh, let's see, Truth, this is an editorial journal. So This editorial in the yeah. journal Circulation discusses the fact that the rates of death from all causes are higher in those populations with cholesterol levels lower than 100 mil, 180 milligrams per whatever. Yeah. The study that cl- concluded that the relative risk of non-cardiac death was 2 to 2 2 to 27 is higher in the low cholesterol group, group than in the controls. So basically... It's saying that because more people die of non-cardiac-related things in lower cholesterol, that that must mean that higher cholesterol people, higher cholesterol must cause cardiac death. I believe that's a logical fallacy. <laughs> it, it might be. Yeah, that that one, I, I I don't know. I don't understand that one. But they link to some, some stuff that you can read that would maybe make it more clear. Once again, I didn't do that. Uh, I, it, it's essentially what it's saying here is because more people with low cholesterol die of other things than heart failure, therefore high cholesterol causes heart heart failure. Right. You see what I'm getting at? It's get not. It. No, it's, it's not saying that the, that the deaths were higher in the low cholesterol group. No, it's saying non-cardiac death is higher in the low cholesterol group. Oh. So therefore, high cholesterol must cause cardiac death. Right. So. Which is contradicting the one that we just read. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What fun. So food myth number six. All right. Children should be fed low-fat diets to avoid health problems later in life. Uh, children need a rich nut- nutrition nutrition found in saturated saturated fats to grow and develop normally. Uh, I it, think kids that don't get enough fat as they're as they're growing up, don't really grow their brains quite right. Uh, and I that could that, be. I'm pretty sure that's. I'm pretty sure I've seen something to that effect. Yeah, that if yeah. you don't get the fat as you're growing up, your brain doesn't end up working properly. Yeah, and uh, I think that is true. The brain, is, the brain does use a lot of fat to make all the connections and stuff like that. I was reading one thing <laughs> that suggested that being called a fathead is actually a compliment because it means you have more neural connections. But um, there is a certain amount of fat you need. I mean, um, your body, puberty, you know, that's one study that's been done. People were talking about why it doesn't seem like kids are hitting puberty um, sooner right now. And some people were talking about the hormones in the food. But one of the things I read was saying, no, it's because the kids are taking in more fat. And when their body um, gets enough fat, it says, oh, okay, now it's time to um, move on to the next stage. I've so, heard that too. And I've heard that, yeah, because I've heard that um, people were trying to claim that hormones in milk and it right. might be true. Um, but still, um, our bodies need a certain amount of yeah. fat to be able to grow and mature and move on. Right. You know, if, but if the, instead of needed fat, the kid's going to have growth problems. He's going to have all sorts of other physical issues that come about. But listen to this. It is for that reason that healthy human breast milk is on average 60% fat, which is like, okay, well, I mean, that's certainly a correlation but is it necessarily a causation is that necessarily the reason that that breast milk is 60 percent fat so yeah 
Maybe, maybe we should be feeding kids on skim breast milk. <laughs> Uh, and then it says red meat consu- uh, red meat consumption causes cancer, and they go into a whole bunch of yada yada about this about why that's not true. Uh, okay, but this one science I, is not yada yada. It's not. Well, do you want to read no. it? Um, read the truth statement. Knock all right. Yourself out. The two two nineteen ninety studies on red meat found a higher risk of colon cancer among those who eat red meat. However, no study done in Europe has ever shown an association between meat consumption and cancer. This suggests that European sausage and luncheon meat, included in the label of meat consumption, are prepared by traditional methods that require few additives, while similar products in the U.S. United States contain contain many carcinogenic preservatives and flavorings. In addition, many other studies have shown that a vegetarian diet and in particular, refined vegetable oils are more carcinogenic than red meat. Okay. All right. So Tell there you, you go. Cow. Cow is good for you. Food myth number eight. Whole grains are good for you. Um, you know, on this, let me let me throw something in here. My wife is uh, is doing some. She's involved in a group of group of people who eat, who do what's called paleo eating, which is they're essentially trying to eat what early man would have found naturally to eat and grains grains only happen with farming very very low grains are what mankind is what is would be naturally attuned to well, i realize this, that we've yeah. had thousands of, you know millions of years of evolution in which to develop a tolerance for grains but that well, doesn't necessarily mean they're good for us. Okay, but so we, yeah, because we started farming about six to ten thousand years ago when God created the earth. Right. Right. And he gave us dominion over all animals and uh, grains. Right. Exactly. So, no, okay, so <laughs> we should, we should really what it actually says. All right, cereal grains in particular, wheat and rye contain many anti nutrients and natural toxins, which are associated with celiac disease and other autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. In addition, grains, even whole ones, are very high in carbohydrates. There is a huge and growing volume of research which implicates high carb consumption in the epidemics of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and a host of other health problems in the United States. Now, I have another article that, that talks about how, and actually they talk about it too, about how um, about how the body is turning carbohydrates into cholesterols. And I think it's, and it says here that your body is creating more cholesterol in a day than you will ever eat from, from meat, um, and it's creating it from carbohydrates. And it says here that you can find that in, like, any textbook. What does it say? Yeah. Food myth number nine, it's all about cholesterol again. Yep. You should avoid foods containing cholesterol if you want to lower your cholesterol levels. Truth, your body makes more cholesterol on a daily basis than you could ever eat. Okay. We're going through this. Raise your hand if you're bored. <laughs> I'm bored. Uh, uh, how, can you, how can you see if our hands are raised? we we, we got to knock this off. Okay. Here's the, here's the, I mean, ultimately, going through these myths is very interesting, um, but I, I, it's hard to make a conclusion on any of this stuff. Well, there's a lot of contradictory information. I'm done with that article. Okay. Kimberly, are you done? Done. All right. Let's move on. What's that? Shall we move on to slime? Yeah, let's move. Let's do that. I mean, basically, ultimately, let let me say this. Okay. In in wrapping up this, after reading all this stuff, I I can conclude that the best thing for you to do is balance in everything. Right. Eat cu- eat a little carbs, a little fat, a little protein, a little and this. a lot of cow. And, and don't overdo anything. But don't stress out about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, in the end, it's like, okay, it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. If you, if you moderate your eating of all these different things, that's probably the best that you can do. Because I don't think that even these nutritionists know what they're talking about. I, I don't think the data is clear enough. Yeah. And again, none of these things can truly happen in the closed systems that real good science needs. You know, in really good science, you have a hypothesis and you test it by changing one variable. Right. And of course, that's the perfect situation that we don't get anywhere near in everything, but especially food consumption, especially casual food consumption where it's like, so what did you eat today, Brian? And you forget about the donut you had. I mean, like you said, all the reporting is self-reporting usually. It's not very tightly controlled. I, I agree with you. I think the ultimate conclusion you have to draw is balanced diet. Listen to your body. 
if everybody else around you can, you know, eat whole grains all day long and feel great and you feel like crap, don't eat whole grains. You know, it's like, doctor, it hurts when I move my arm like this. So don't move your arm like that. Don't eat stuff that doesn't agree with you. Yeah. And keep everything else as balanced as you can. We're omnivores. Yeah. That's that's how we've evolved. Um, you know, I, I've heard about the paleontology thing, and it, it sounds interesting, that diet. But, you know, what it comes down to is if you put a caveman in front of a McDonald's, that guy's eating everything he can because he's from a culture where – or, or, or a, a world where you eat whatever you can. Right. And that's what's interesting because, like, fruit – fruit was only available one time a year. So mm-hmm. you gorged on it when you got the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so, we, and and we are we are programmed to do that. We get a dopamine hit for gorging on that stuff because you build up this fat reserve for for later. Right. So yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with, with with that kind of stuff where they're looking at how we used to eat compared to how we're eating now, and there's a lot of nutrition research going on. But I think ultimately, how can you not read all this crap and all just say, okay, if I just moderate everything, I that's the best I can do. Yeah. And that's very, very hard in our society. Yeah, there's it a is. lot. I mean, that's what I think the more interesting discussion is is you know how how much you have to fight to to eat a balanced diet. Oh, it sounds like the easiest thing in the world, but it's very difficult to stay on target and and keep doing it. Well, not, well, here's the thing: is that we said fats are bad, so what do we replace it with? Carbs and sugar. I've had more carbs today than I have protein for sure. Probably in my one beer. <laughs> so to rule them all yeah to one beer to rule them all this is a good beer it could rule them all alright so pink slime alright let's talk about pink slime please let's talk about pink slime because well, it's everywhere well, first of all it's not pink slime pink, sl- pink slime well my understanding is that it will sneak into your house and kill your child while you're sleeping no I think that movie had Steve McQueen in it too. okay sorry um, <laughs> lean finely textured beef LFTB and boneless lean beef trimmings, BLBT, is a essentially what they're doing is they're reclaiming the connective tissue. They're reclaiming the stuff that pretty much ain't bone. Um, and they run it through a centrifuge. Then they treat it with uh, a light puff of ammonia gas to kill the E. coli and salmonella and other bacteria. And essentially, they use it as a beef additive. Yeah, it's a filler. No, no. Read the um the top eight myths of pink slime. It's basically is ground beef. To, okay. to call it a filler is actually inaccurate. Um, it's interesting to see all this because well, because beef is anything that ain't bone. Yeah, is but, well, pretty much is pretty much how they define it. Right, and well, it, it's interesting to see this whole hype over it because because you know they're, they're acting like oh my god, this is horrible stuff, horrible stuff. I'm saying like. I've had steaks where I've eaten all the way to the bone just because, you know, I'm getting that into it. I We've all eaten this. I, I guarantee you it. You know, you get a fine steak. You eat to that bone. You're eating this exact same stuff. Okay. And to make this big deal about, oh, my God, it's going all the way to the bone. It's still the same beef. Well, the, the pink slime thing came from, essentially, this was a, this was a media coin thing. Yeah. Somebody called it pink slime. A bunch of people picked up on it. And... You know, it, it could have gone worse because they could have named it Soylent Pink instead. But and basically, nobody would eat it. Because okay. they got the name Pink Slime, that made everyone think, oh my God, this is nasty. Right. So it's yeah. connective tissues and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's basically it's basically the scrapings, just like, you know, Chicken McNuggets used to be. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you look at the, the, the stuff they were trying to um, say was the Pink Slime on all, all the um, news and stuff and this um, really nasty looking stuff. My first thought was, wow, that looks like bologna, just not um, <sighs> packed yet. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And honestly, it is. Bologna yeah. sauce is just, what do you think goes in them? A lot of, I, one thing that comes, that I, um, I've noticed is people don't want to know what they're eating. They, they want to be able to lie to themselves. And when something like Pete Slime comes out and says, hey, listen, this is what you've been eating. Oh, my God, that's so disgusting. You've been eating yep. it most of your life. <laughs> well, let's go back to my point about cow. People right. don't want to know that that steak in the store was once a you know black and white Holstein. You know what? I, I made sure that my kids knew that. Yep. Yeah. See, I, I want know. you to bring me a live cow. I will carve off what I want, and I'll ride the rest home. There you go. Thank yeah. you, Dennis Leary. Yes, <laughs> Doctor Dennis Leary. Doctor Dennis um, Leary. <laughs> you know, I did. I, I actually had a little bit of a little bit of extra prep on this because I talked about this on uh, the Invisible Sky Monster podcast with with uh, dumbass. And you, you don't know, have to be only, mean about it. Only, 
Sorry, go ahead. You don't have to be mean about it. I'm not being mean about it. I'm just being accurate. <laughs> the only uh, the only thing that I could find that was actually a point that I can say against the pink slime is that it's it contains proteins that we normally don't digest. So we're probably not getting as much nutrition value from the pink slime part of the ground beef as we are from the regular part of the ground beef. Okay. You know, the 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 you know, ground beef I know this from having actually worked in a butcher shop. Ground beef is made of what they do is they'll take the cuts of meat that they can take, your T-bones, your round, your sirloin, your rib steak. They take those cuts of meat. They take the chuck. They, they take all these things. And once they get those cuts of meat off, whatever else is left on the side of beef is beef trim. And they take that beef trim, they cut it into small pieces, and they run it through a grinder, and you get ground beef. Okay. Now, what they're talking about from the pink slime is to take things that are normally not even part of beef trim, things you cannot get off the bone without the centrifuge, um, connective tissue such as, you know, such as the cartilage and everything else, the uh, tendons, the ligaments, they run that through the centrifuge. They spin it out into essentially a very, a very finely textured grind, and it becomes pink, pink slime. So but you fact, don't, and then, and then, you know, the puff of ammonia, you don't think this is a problem? Uh, I think we get uh, more ammonia than that in our drinking Okay. Water. Myth seven, because ammonia hydroxide is an ingredient, ground beef containing boneless trimming should be labeled. Ammonia hydroxide is not an ingredient added to the product, whether the product receives a puff of ammonia to eliminate bacteria. Um, when, com- be- when combined with moisture naturally in beef, ammonia hydroxide is formed which is naturally occurring compound found in many foods. So basically, it's actually not, and even just a puff, but it, it's not anything that's not already there. Okay. You know, yeah. that, I, think we get, I think we get more ammonia in our drinking water than we're likely to get from pink slime. Well, because ammonia is used in, sometimes in place of bleach or in yeah. place of chlorine. Uh, actually, in our, in our drinking water here in Colorado, they basically take a combination of chlorine, bleach, and ammonia called chloramine, yeah, and they add that to the water, right. plus some other stuff. I drink distilled. Oh, I drink this stuff right out of the tap, buddy. Same here. You're welcome to do that. I don't like the taste of it. Well, I can I can understand that. Um, when I lived in uh, Lakewood, I did not like the taste of the water. I think that their water tasted worse than Arvada water, at least to me. Um, but I can tell, like in my water bottle, um, sometimes I'll open it up and it's like, ooh, chlorine. Then I yep. drink it down. I'm good. Anyway, um. You know, so essentially, the the lean, finely textured beef is made up of collagen and elastin and some other proteins that we don't normally we don't normally eat. So we're not getting the same kind of nutrition out of it, but it's not inherently harmful. No, but you're, the one thing that was interesting in your article is that it didn't sound like it was that much of a cost savings for them to remove this. They found it what it went up three cents a pound, which I guess over over a, a, a large amount is significant, but uh, perhaps it's worth it to get something that, you know, uh, the proteins that we're used to as opposed to the proteins that we can't digest. But you look at any of the pe- any of the stuff that's busy dogging on the pink slime, they never really provide anything to back up any of the stuff they say. Okay. You know, they make all sorts of claims about, you know, the first one we have is say no to pink slime. If you read through that, there's all sorts of claims being made about how horrible this stuff is, but they don't give anything to back it up at all. You want to know where I you want to know where I found the best information on the on the pink slime? Where? I found the best information on the pink slime on a uh, site that was discussing halal meat. Really? Yeah, and the guy had really really good information. I have bigger problems with halal meat than I do with this. Amen, sister. But, so yeah, no, like I said, the first thing I I thought of when I saw that was bologna and all the other stuff and like I said, I, I know what goes into hot dogs and it doesn't bother me one bit. Sure. Oh, I still eat hot dogs. They're they're yeah. delicious. It's also kind of funny when you think about it. I'm so and I'm surprised the beef industry hasn't kind of gone this tactic. You know, when we look at like people who want things done the way it used to be and the better way and the more holistic way, you know, we'll look at the Native Americans and say, you know, when they would slaughter you know, uh, buffalo and, and cows and stuff like that, they would use every part of it. And that was considered to be really good. You know, they, they didn't let any of it go to waste. Um, it's usually 
contrasted with like the way that they slaughtered buffalo to basically extinction just for hides and left the rest of the carcass to just uh, be destroyed. But this, so you're, if you so look you're at saying it the that right the, way, you're saying that the American Indians would would use pink slime. Well, just hear me out. My my point is that this is the most effective harvesting of the animal that you could possibly get. I mean, they're doing it in ways that you wouldn't think. When we face a world in which people are starving to death, I do have a... I mean, do, do I like thinking about what they're doing to get this in there? No. But if it is actually providing more food for a population of 7 billion people on this planet and less people starve to death... I, I, I kind of start to withdraw some of my objections. Well, Kimberly, I, I hear your point, and I have no objection to it whatsoever. And I, I'm going to say this, too, that what they say about, you know, the Mary, Native Americans using everything, oh, my God, you what what that is a myth in and of itself. One of the ways that you identified a Cheyenne camp was by looking for the trash heap. Give me a break. Well, so they converted some of what they used into refuse. <laughs> what, 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 hold on, hold on. We're going to call it composting. How about composting? We're going to call oh. it composting. You know what? Okay, I stand corrected. How could I have been so foolish? I get tired of that too. Oh, they they, they were they were so conscientious, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah. No, they they weren't. They they used everything that they possibly could because they didn't know when the next time they were going to get another one was. Exactly. Sure. But they still left a lot of trash. Yeah, they can't be helped. <sighs> All right, so All right, pink slime. So, so the amateur skeptics of what I'm hearing here are are kind of coming down. I mean, maybe we're not huge fans of pink slime, but we're not anti-pink slime. Is that? I got no problem with a it. Fair I thing to say. I got no problem with pink slime. Brian, I, I, you know what, I. I don't have a huge problem with it. Ever since I've heard it, I, 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 it, it, just naming it pink slime automatically triggers to me the media is overhyping this. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're using something that sounds worse than it could possibly be. I mean, just the name that they gave it. And, and, to, and I think to other people that it triggers, oh, this has got to be terrible. To me, it triggers media overhype. Yep. I think they should have called it soil and pink and I would eat it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think pink. we wrap it up here. Soil we have a pink yeah. is cow. But here's the thing is that we, but here's the thing is that I mean, really it's it's hard to know if it really is bad for us if there's any real problems here because there's no real data to support it. We, we the the whole thing about chiro, chiro, carbohydrates, fats, all that really hard to know what's going on because the data is not fantastic and we get and we have all these gurus talking to us about talking about health which connects right back to where I was talking about fracking where I'm still not sure about fracking either because I'm hearing a lot of different crap. This stuff is hard to break down. Is 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 ultimately what all that we can really say about it is that man, you cut, you kind of just gotta feel it out, and 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 at some point, I guess you gotta make a make a judgment and, and hope that you're right. You realize, of course, and, it's and your discussion of fracking that caused the explicit tag to be added to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that the only time we've cursed? Uh, maybe maybe other than during some technical problems, it might be. So, everybody, frack off and say goodnight. Good night. Good night, you frackers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, no derivatives, 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 